This is a reading from Luke 18, 9 through 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, gang. Glad to be here and worshiping with you this morning. Let's, uh, let me take a moment and just pray for us, and then we'll uh, study God's word together. Heavenly Father, be with us now, because we need you. We're desperate for you. We want to know you better and more deeply. And we know that we can't do this on our own. We need your spirit. We need your grace. We need your peace. Speak that to our hearts now as we study your word together, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Just by way of reminder, sometimes as I speak, I emphasize things by dropping my voice. And so you're going to work with me. And if I drop my voice and you miss it, you say, what was that? So let's practice. Ready? I'm dropping my voice. Okay, and that, that'll cue me, and I'll know, I'll repeat what I said, and it'll be good. Um, we, are, we are beginning our fall series on the gospel and life. You know, the, um, what we were saying is just as a bomb needs a detonator for the power of the explosive to work, so our spirituality needs the detonator of the gospel for it to make a difference. And it's not going to make a difference. Your faith isn't going to make a difference. Your spirituality is not going to make a difference unless the gospel is front and center and the, the, uh, central to everything that you do, whether it's pray, whether it's uh, feed the homeless. We talked about that a little bit today. Whether it's uh, whatever it is you do. The gospel has got to be centered. And so we're going to take a look at that, and we're taking time in our home meetings to look at that, and we're looking at that on Sunday. How is the gospel, how does it make a difference to you practically day to day? Today, what we're going to do is look at, at the idea of a right relationship with God. If you're spiritually seeking, and you're wondering about what does a right, a right relationship with God look like, that's what we're going to talk about today. And a right, what we're going to say is that a right relationship with God happens when you depend upon his mercy. It happens when you depend upon his mercy. And so what does dependent upon God's mercy look like? And we're going to look at three things just briefly. We're going to look at the fact that a right relationship with God does not happen through your right behavior. We're going to look at the fact that a right relationship relationship with God is not prevented by your bad behavior. And we're going to look at the fact that a right relationship with God happens when you depend upon his mercy. Okay? So let's get into it. Can you hear me well so far? Doing okay. Don't forget. What's, what was that? There you go. You got it. 
Okay, now here, here's the problem. We're looking at a New Testament document, ancient Near Eastern document. Life was different then. And there are some words in this passage that if you don't know, if you're not familiar with, uh, it's very hard to understand what Jesus is getting at. And so we're going to take a brief pit stop and we're going to just define some of the terms that we're looking at here in the, in the passage. The first thing you need to know is uh, that there's... Jesus teaches us that a right relationship with God is an issue of trust, righteousness, and justification. Trust, righteousness, and justification. Those are not terms we usually use day in and day out, but they're, they're very present here. They're very present in the mindset of the people who Jesus is talking to. And so let's try to bridge the gap for a moment and see what those words mean. The first thing in verse 10, you'll see that Jesus uses the language of trusted in. So there's a sense in which right relationship with God has to do with what you trust in has to do with what you trust in. And uh, Jesus uses in his parable, he uses this parable to show that being righteous, being justified is an issue of what you put your faith in, what you put your trust in. The religious leader had his trust in something. The tax collector had his trust in something. And so trust is a basic issue to what we're going to talk about here. But also, there's the language of righteousness. Now, there's the language of righteousness and the language of justification. We're distant from those. It's hard to know what those mean. So let's take a moment and just see what they mean. Jesus said that those, uh, there were those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. What does he mean by righteous? And simply put, we're going to say that by righteous, he means that those people trusted in themselves to be righteous rather than their relationship with God, that the chief, the, the chief consequences of their sin was reversed. Right? So the, the idea is that in their relationship with God, the chief consequences for their sin were reversed because of what they themselves do. There's a rift. There's a rift in the background in this story, in the redemptive history, and in your life. There's a rift between what your relationship with God should be and what it is because of your sin. And righteousness means that somehow, some way, that that has been dealt with. Okay? So they trusted in themselves uh, because of what they did. They trusted they were righteous because of what they did. Now, some of you are sitting here and have grown up in the Christian church. And let me speak to you for a minute because you might be aware of a current debate among Christians about this. And the debate puts it as an either-or, and I'm going to argue for both-and, okay? In the debate, what happens is that the righteousness of God, there's a focus that has moved very intensely to, to include God's dissatisfaction with a broken world. God's dissatisfaction with a broken world and his determination to bring justice to it, to restore it by setting everything right again. So the Bible does talk about righteousness of God in this way. Um, one, there was one famous theologian that I uh, enjoy and is important, has done important work. His name is Herman Ritterboss. And he writes this, Because the kingdom of God has entered into this world, we must say that the world is full of the redemptive power of God. For the cross of Christ was placed in this world, and the Christ arose here. Christ is, in the all-embracing sense, the hope of the world. Namely, in this sense that he will also renew creation and will cause life to break forth from death. Okay? And so, for example, when Paul explains how God's kingdom reverses the effects of the fall... He describes how God's comprehensive plan is renovative. And the apostle reaches for the largest possible categories imaginable. 
He reaches for recreation. You can read about it in 2 Corinthians 5.17 or Galatians 6.15. And the Bible's main redemptive story plainly deals on this with a large scale, right? It is important for us to continue to emphasize the full reach of salvation into every corner of life, into the fabric of creation itself that, that Jesus is aiming at it, and he wants to renew it, and he wants to transform it especially as we learn more about what the gospel is together, as we learn about what the detonator is for our faith in life. Nevertheless, nevertheless, the predominant understanding has been righteousness is forensic. Righteousness is forensic, having specifically to do with God's uprightness as a judge in regards to humanity's universal sin and guilt. The Bible is clear that the chief consequence of sin that needs to be reversed is not the brokenness within creation, but God's just anger towards us as idolaters, people who worship and serve created things rather than the creator. God's righteous demands that punishment for sin be exactly what it deserves. God himself is life and to pose him is death. And these are precisely sin's wages. So while the righteousness of God encompasses cosmic restorative justice, that's important. We're going to support that. The church has supported that throughout the years. That's important to understand in the gospel. Uh, while it covers that, encompasses that, its biblical center is the punitive action of God that he must take against us because we're sinners and because he's holy. Now, Jesus uses a category understood by his hearer, hearers, the category of Righteousness. Righteousness. He said that there were those who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous. He means that those people trusted in themselves, that the chief consequences of their sin was reversed in their relationship with God because of what they themselves did. Okay? Now, that was the language of righteousness, language of justification. Also, Jesus assumes that these hearers know what's going on with that. So let's try to come up to speed with what that is, and then we'll, we'll dive into the rest of the passage. Justification... Uh, there are those who had trusted in their relationship with God that it was good, that they were righteous. And Jesus used another term to get them to question whether or not they were justified in their trust that they were righteous. To do so, he uses the language of justification. Now listen, justification, and we'll wrap it up here so that we can move on. Bear with us, okay? These are important terms for understanding. Justification is very much about how one is saved, from the consequences of your sin and your relationship to a righteous God. You can look at Romans 4, chapter 4, verse 5 for that. And as we'll see, very much about the forensic benefits that are ours in the gospel through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now look, there's a children's teaching tool. There's a children's teaching tool called the, the Shorter Catechism. It's been used in the church for centuries. And the children's teaching tool puts justification related to our righteousness this way. Children are meant to memorize it this way. And this is what it says. You ready? Justification is an act of God's free grace wherein he pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. So, justification and righteousness go together in the hearers, in his hearers' uh, listening and understanding of what he's saying. And so he, he starts a parable for them. A right relationship with God is an issue of trust, righteousness, and justification. And we can put it another way. A right relationship with God is one where you trust that as you relate to God, the consequences of your sin have been dealt with. 
And you're justified because you're pardoned and accepted as being righteous in God's sight. Let me illustrate the way that Jesus was talking uh, to these folks and what he was drawing out. Do you get suddenly anxious if you're driving along the highway and uh, at a good clip and all of a sudden you pass a state trooper that was hiding on the other side of an overpass, right? Waiting to catch those who are going too fast. Do you say, oh crap, and take your foot off the accelerator and touch the brake to slow down, right? Do you get anxious? Or do you remain calm? As you drive past the officer's car and radar gun, driving in the same way that you had been all along, not fearing that you're in danger of being cited for driving too fast, are you justified in that claim? Are you calm because you were going to speed limit and are in right relationship with the state trooper and his radar gun? Friends, in a similar way, Jesus teaches us here that those, there were those who trust in themselves They trust in themselves that they have a right relationship with God and that their sin has been dealt with and God accepts them in right relationship because of what they have done themselves. And they remained calm and they were not anxious and they knew that they wouldn't be cited. But Jesus has much to teach us about whether or not that trust is justified. But for now, to clarify our understanding of some of the key words in this passage, a right relationship with God, again, is an issue of trust. It's an issue of righteousness. It's an issue of justification. What does God require as you think about those three things? As you begin to grapple with the terms, as you cross the bridge into what those terms mean for you, and as you wrestle with Jesus and what he would have to say to you, consider your relationship with God. What are you trusting in to know that your relationship with him is good? What are you trusting in? How do you know that the consequences of your sin have been dealt with in your relationship with God? How do you know that he pardons you and accepts you? Are you justified in believing so? Jesus wants your attention on these issues. So give it. Give it some attention. If you want to relate to God or even if you prefer to leave God out of it, Jesus forces your hand here. He wants you to ask yourself about what you trust in to believe that your spiritual life is okay. What is it that you're trusting in? Verse 14, Jesus tells us who is justified and who is not. So ask Jesus to reveal to you what you've been trusting in and ask him to enable you to give him your trust. That's step one. Okay. Uh, So we clarified some words Jesus uses here in this passage. He shows us that a right relationship with God is an issue of trust and righteousness and justification. You got that? And you can chat with me after the service if you have questions about it. But also, a right relationship with God does not happen by your right behavior. Verse 9, some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt, right? So they trusted in themselves that they were righteous. In verse 14, Jesus talks about justification, how justification works. So the Pharisees' approach to right relationship with God was based on right behavior. And that involves a couple of different things. You have to understand this. If you're pursuing spirituality and you want to know what Christianity says about it, listen. In the Pharisees' approach, which Jesus is denouncing here, there's an externalism. There's an externalism. There's an understanding of doing the right thing or not doing the right thing that was completely external. It was based on behavior, focused on behavior, focused on keeping or breaking the rules. 
There's no talk of character. There's no talk of, hey, I'm a more patient husband or more loving husband, or I'm kinder to my colleagues at work, or um, I'm able to hang on to my joy and peace even when things go wrong. That's not the focus of externalism. Verse 11 and 12, the Pharisee says, I did not extort, I'm not unjust, I do not commit adultery, I fast, I do my religious observances, I give my money away. Externals. Focus on me, what I do. But Jesus shows here that our behavior cannot escape the way of our hearts, and the way of our hearts is involved with all things. He shows that in the way that the Pharisee is into the second thing, which is comparison. It's not just externalism that the Pharisee is into, but it's comparison. Verse 9 says that he's looking down. Inclu- you know, Jesus tells the parable to show that there's, there's something going on. People are looking down at others, treating others with contempt. And in verse 11, the Pharisee says, I'm not like other men. I thank you, God. I'm not like other men, right? In the parable, the Pharisee and those listening look down at others and think that they're better than them. They think that they're better than them. Now, listen for a second. And this is interesting, so follow, okay? And if you can't hear me, just say, what do you say if you can't hear me? Yeah, there you go. What's that? There's evidence that by the world's standards, the Pharisee is a pretty good guy. He's a pretty good guy here, right? The Pharisee says that he follows the commands in the Bible when others do not. The commands he says he follows are in the Bible, but he also does even more than required. And that's important for what, we, what Jesus is getting across here. He does more than required. When he says, I fast twice a week, that's a command that he follows when others does not. And to his mind, he's doing more than expected. But the command about fasting in particular is not in the Bible. Fasting twice a week. The Bible does not say to fast twice a week. That's something he chose to do. So he's fasting twice a week, and that's a personal preference. And it's a cultural custom. So what's wrong with trying to be obedient to the Bible and going beyond what you think is required? What's wrong with that? Jesus teaches here that the Pharisees' religious effort is not a matter of externals, but also deeply a matter of internals, of internal disposition and character as well. Why? The Pharisee is looking down at others and thinks he's better than them because of the way that he obeys the Bible along with conforming with the religious customs of the day. He looks down at others and he thinks he's better than them because of his own effort. And the Pharisee elevated his own obedience to, um, and he elevated his own preferences and cultural customs over others, and then he judges others by making himself and his performance the standard by which to measure everyone else everyone else and their approach to God. He gave his effort and obedience moral significance. He used it in a way to feel more virtuous than others. But Jesus, but Jesus teaches in this passage that the Pharisee was not justified in trusting his own effort. He wasn't justified that way. A right relationship with God does not happen through focusing on what you do or holding what you do over others. If you do that, all of your religious living is not for God but it's for yourself. So, have you ever experienced someone giving something to you in such a way that you're, they're really not giving it to you, but they're giving it to themselves? I was watching a show recently, and there's this couple, and they're a great couple, and they're, you know, a good relationship in the show. And they had, they had decided that they would combine what they spent 
on, their, on one big anniversary present and get one big thing that they both thought would be great for both of them rather than two lesser things that would be nice but not quite as good as they combined their resources. So that's how they decided to do anniversary. Now, the problem was that she wanted a TV for quality time together, hanging out on the couch and, like, nestling and like, doing all of that sort of thing. But he wanted a new washer and dryer because he, he wanted to keep ahead of the clothes by being clean and ready to go. He was a type A kind of guy. And so when she realized that they wanted different things, she asked him to, uh, she asked him to surprise her. And so when he brought home the washer and dryer... How do you think she felt? She was upset. She was upset because he really gave himself the washer and dryer. He didn't give them to her. In the same way, Jesus is teaching that we can be religious, but in a way that we give our religious effort to ourselves rather than to God. We want things from God, but we do not want God himself. And Jesus says this type of religious behavior is not justifiable. It's not justifiable. A right relationship with God does not happen by your right behavior. That's self-focus. And Jesus says it isn't justifiable to be the self-focused in religion and faith. Okay, but also, a right relationship with God is not prevented by your wrong behavior. Now, worse than those, listen, think about the way the Pharisee put the criminals that he listed himself beside, right? We've got We've got those who are unlawfully attaining money, property, or services from a person, entity, or institution through coercion, right? We've got those who were not just in dealing, with our, in dealing with others. We've got those who were willingly sleeping with other people's husbands and wives. And worse than, worse than all of those to the Pharisee, worse than all of those to the Pharisee were the tax collectors, after listing a set of criminals that he was not like, he stated that worse than all of these were the tax collectors. He says, or even like this tax collector, as he points to the, the guy behind him. Now, a little bit of history and background in the tax collection. Under the Republic, Rome had collected both direct and indirect taxes through publicani. These individuals were private contractors who undertook the service of collecting taxes for profit. Now, Upian, writing in the early 3rd century, noted that publicani were those who enjoy the use of what belongs to the people, hence their name, publicani. And they do not seem to have been very popular individuals. They had various powers that could be open to abuse, such as the impounding of goods that were suspected of not having been declared for taxation, and for confiscation of flocks using public pastures. And those are just some examples. The Pharisees believed that his good effort was was good enough to justify a right relationship with God. But the tax collector's bad efforts, or any other criminal for that matter, was enough to prevent a relationship with God in the Pharisee's eyes. The Pharisee felt that there was no way the tax collector could justify a right relationship with God after all he had done. But Jesus is coming at him in this story, in this parable, and he's saying that you feel that way because you don't see things rightly. Jesus teaches here, the Pharisee is not justified in the way that he viewed himself or in the way that he viewed the tax collector. Jesus is defending the fact that the tax collector could be justified in having a right relationship with God, and we'll see in a moment, was justified. Uh, there's a simple story. For, for those of you are, who are parents, we, uh, when we were raising our kids, 
at younger ages, there was a story about Wemmix. And the story about Wemmix was a little town of little wooden people. And the wooden people had a maker. But in the town, they didn't have a lot to do with that maker. And the Wemmix would run around and they would stick stars on one another for all the cool things that they did. Hey, you can jump higher than the other Wemmix. Or you can play guitar faster than the other Wemmix. Or you can balance books better than all the other Wemmix. And so you get a star. And for those who didn't fit into that category of living, those who were outside of that, who couldn't jump higher or run faster, people would run around giving each other dots. And so the more dots you were collected, the further outside you were. And the Wemmick, the chief sort of lead in the story, goes to see his creator. And as he goes to see his creator, his creator says, I created you because I love you, and it doesn't matter what these other people think. I created you to be you. All you need to do is come and see me every day, and you'll start to see a difference. And the Wemmick, as he left the creator's workshop, began to believe that, and one of his dots fell off. So in a sense... A right relationship with God is not prevented by your wrong behavior. All right? A right relationship with God happens when you depend upon his mercy. And we'll close with this. Verse 13 and following. The tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Your spirituality is a matter of your heart. And the first, very first thing you need to do in your spirituality is humble yourself. And we see that in verse 14. There are various ways that he does it. The tax collector humbles himself. Um, he knows that he can't approach God because of his own action. He was standing far off in verse 13, right? He was standing far off. And he didn't assume his right to be in a right relationship with God. He wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven as though he had a right to claim on it. And he felt his need for something more than he could do or give to make things right. And his need was profound. And he beat his breast for it. He felt it through the core of his very being. He knew that he had a need that he could not overcome. And he knew that he needed to depend on God and ask for him for his mercy rather than believe that he had a right to it. He says in verse 13, God be merciful to me to admit not just his actions but his state of being, a sinner. And then a matter of God's declaration in verse 14, we see that dependence upon God's mercy justifies. Jesus says, I tell you, this man, this man who humbled himself despite what he's done, He went down to his house justified. And the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So a right relationship with God happens when you depend upon his mercy. Look, there's a story of the judge, and you're on trial. And you go before the judge, and there's no possible way that you can overcome the crimes that are attributed to you. You did them. You're guilty. And you deserve the death penalty. And in the gospel... The story is that the judge comes down off the bench himself and he calls you son or daughter and he himself takes your place and dies the death that you should have died so that his good record as the righteous judge is attributed to you, is given to you. 
You see that in the great stories. Why is it so powerful when we read the, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia and Aslan gives himself slain on the table so that another can go free? Why is that powerful? Because it points to the true one who did lay down his life for you so that you can approach God with liberty. A right relationship with God happens only when you turn from your own effort, whether being your own savior by trying to obey the law or by being your own Lord by trying to live any way you want. But a right relationship only happens when you depend upon his effort on your behalf. When you look to him, it changes you. Here are some examples from the home study materials that are uh, read before this week's home meeting. Talking about relying on Jesus' effort on your behalf rather than relying on your own effort. It's called repentance. It's turning from one thing and turning to Jesus, turning to God. Okay? So there's gospel repentance and relying on Jesus' effort rather than your own. It involves a deep humility, and that's, verse, that's opposed to pride. Have you looked down on anyone? Or the other side of that, have you been too strongly stung by criticism? Have you felt snubbed or ignored? Repent by considering the free grace of Jesus until you sense a decreasing disdain. You're a sinner too. Or a decreasing pain over criticism since you value God's love more than human approval. Reflect on God's grace until you experience a deep humility and a grateful, restful joy. Also, gospel repentance involves a well-guided zeal versus anxiety. Have you avoided people or tasks that you know you should face? Have you been anxious or worried? Have you failed to be circumspect? Or have you been rash and impulsive? Repent by considering the free grace that Jesus... uh, Consider the free grace of Jesus until there is, A, no cowardly avoidance of hard things, since Jesus faced evil for you. And B, no anxious or rash behavior, since Jesus' death proves that God cares for and watches over you. Reflect on God's grace until you experience calm, thoughtfulness, and strategic boldness in your life. Friends, a right relationship with God does not happen by your right behavior. It's not through self-effort or self-focus. A right relationship with God does not is not prevented by your wrong behavior, which is also self-effort and self-focus. A right relationship with God happens when you depend upon his mercy. Focus on Jesus and his effort on your behalf. And only then will you be free to live and live life abundantly and freely with the liberty that you've been given in the gospel. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence with us in the name of Jesus and the fellowship of your Holy Spirit, as we look at your word together, we've confessed that we, we need you, we depend upon you, we want to know you better. We ask that you would continue to draw us closer to you, help us to know you more deeply as we go into the rest of our worship service and into the rest of our week. Be with us now. It's in Jesus' name.